And sometimes you will see 20 or 40 buses lying, school buses in front of Sierra Cultural Center, or sometimes 10, with all these young people of all races and cultures coming to see a Somali legend or Somali uh, vocalist. Welcome to see the riverside where the pigeons fly, and the buildings are so high. West Bank neighborhood of Minneapolis, also known as Cedar Riverside, has a complex history. Ask most casual music fans in Minnesota about the West Bank, and they'll probably tell you about the folk and blues hippie scene that sprung up in the 60s and 70s, led by legends like Spider John Kerner, Willie Murphy, and Paul Metza. In recent years, the West Bank has evolved to incorporate rock and punk at the now-defunct 400 Bar and Triple Rock Social Club, underground hip-hop at the Red Sea, and funk and reggae nights at the Nomad World Pub. The Cedar Riverside area has also long been in flux, and the population has transitioned from Scandinavian and Eastern European immigrants to East African immigrants, primarily from Somalia, who now call the neighborhood home. Did you know Minnesota has the largest Somali population in the country? Despite this historic shift, the white culture that dominates Minnesota hasn't done a very good job of getting to know the music being made in our Somali community. This disconnect is even more jarring when you consider just how successful some of these stars have become. I'm Andrea Swenson, and this is The Current Rewind, the podcast putting music's unsung stories on the map. For this episode, we talked to some of the movers and shakers from the Cedar Riverside community to learn about the unique opportunities and challenges facing Somali artists in Minnesota. We also had the opportunity to speak with the UK artist Armanta, who has close ties to Minnesota and shared his perspective as an international visitor. Near the corner of Riverside Avenue and South 4th Street in the West Bank is the studio for KFAI, a volunteer-run, non-commercial radio station founded in 1978 that features a broad mix of programming in several languages. Every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Central, a local Somali activist named Abdirazak Bihi hosts Somali Link Radio, an hour-long community affairs show. There are two other Somali shows on KFAI, Salah Bare's Somali Da Manta and the multi-hosted Somali Public Radio, both airing on Sundays. But Somali Link Radio is the only English-language Somali show. My radio show, I started, the first day I started was February 2017. And the reason I started is that I do Somali cultural presentations for a lot of our neighbors who don't know much about the community. So there's a lot of negativity out there. So I used to go to a church, schools. So I decided to do this radio in English and uh, that would save me a lot of resources and time. But I learned it's the only English speaking Somali radio in the whole country. KFI, for a long time, they were interested to find a Somali program that speaks English. I wasn't aware of that. So one day I asked my friend um, Al, who is the editor and founder of McFarlane Media, uh, such as Insight, weekly newspaper. I talked to him. He's, he's a kind of elder in the Somali community. Uh, so I asked him, could he help me get a show at KFI because I'm trying to do something different? And he talks to Leah Aniski, who is the manager there. I sat down with them and they told me, 
you want to do Somali program in English? It's like we've been looking for you. The show is one sliver of the vibrant Somali cultural scene in and around Cedar Riverside. Mr. Behe is so popular and the community so tight-knit that he says he likes Minnesota winters because everyone's so bundled up that he can hurry through the neighborhood without stopping to say hi to everyone he passes. You, you know people, you know everybody, you know the elders, you know the young people, the mothers, the fathers, you know, the, the children. But at the end of the day, he enjoys his reputation of being on the move. Um, I remember one elder who was immigrant at that time and needed services was saying, how can I get Bihi? How can I get hold of him? Sometimes they need a ride to the um, public housing. Sometimes they need a ride to the hospital or, or maybe interpreter or some other services. So they said, oh, it's hard to find him. Then another elder says, nope, it's never hard for me to find him. And they said, how do you do that? Says, well, I stand in one corner of Cedar Riverside, and then B runs, I run into him, because he's always walking around. <laughs> the same thing with our elected officials who live around here. You run into City Council Abdiwar Sema all the time. You run into Ilhan Omar all the time. Mr. Noor, I run into him every day because he lives just up here. <laughs> The Cedar Riverside area has been home to immigrant communities ever since Minnesota became a state. After native inhabitants were forced to sell off land to the U.S. government in the mid-1800s, European immigrants flooded into Cedar Riverside. By the late 1800s, the area was filled with nightlife. Dania Hall, which has since burned down, hosted Scandinavian-American performers for almost a century. The Swedish term Atgapa Cedar, which means going to cedar or to walk on cedar, became shorthand for to get drunk. More recently, Cedar Riverside has become a center for Somali refugees. Siad Barre's Somali government underwent ugly contortions in the 1980s and committed genocide, killing tens of thousands of Issaq citizens. In 1991, the country broke out in civil war. Many Somalis fled their homeland, finding their way to refugee camps in Ethiopia before moving to countries like England, Canada, Sweden, and the United States. Because of its many voluntary agencies like Lutheran Social Services, Minnesota became a common destination for refugees. Abdirazak Bihi comes from Somalia's capital city, Mogadishu, and refers to Cedar Riverside by a newer nickname, Little Mogadishu. He's lived in the neighborhood for 21 years. I love it. I am very, very proud of my neighborhood. Um, we've got Somali businesses, East African restaurants, um, Asian restaurants, uh, mainstream restaurants or, or coffee, coffee shops. We've got everything that a city needs. So we are a little small city. We've got three mosques, one church. We've got bars that some of them are 100 years old. Palmer's Bar and Darl Hitra Mosque. It's a mosque and a bar that are next to each other. We are the only spot like that. A lot of people don't know what Cedar Riverside is, or some of them, they have a negative uh, thing. But this is where I raised family, and uh, this is where I spend most of my time working. And uh, it's as safe as it could be. The only issues we have is that young kids from other neighborhoods do some bad stuff sometimes around here. I'm glad that I have huge amount of resources in terms of people, like partnering with uh, working through Emerge, City of Minneapolis, Hennepin County, uh, Mixed Blood Theater, Cedar Cultural Center. It's all about relationships, Augsburg, KFI. It's all about different components 
that support the vibrancy of our community. We are in West Bank, where even having a street sign is politics. So yeah, so we are a community that really votes uh, when we educate our community about certain politician or certain candidate or certain issues, and they, elders and everybody agree, then they don't just vote. They make sure that their neighbors vote. In 2018, Minnesota's 5th District, which includes all of Minneapolis and some suburbs, overwhelmingly elected Ilhan Omar to the U.S. House of Representatives. She is the first Somali-American to serve in Congress, and many Somali people love to gush about her accomplishments. When I started the radio, we had a different name. Uh, the first name was Somali Radio That Speaks Funny English. I remember Ilhan Omar saying, this is perfect for me because I speak funny English. You know, Ilhan, she's amazing. In addition to politics, Mr. Behe invests lots of time in music. And he's not the only one. If I'm with five people, one is working on his record. It's very common at the stoplight, someone will stop you and shove their CD on you and say, tell me what you think of. So music is a big part of the Somali culture. It was and it still is common to have musicians hired to play in your wedding and it depends who that musician is. Here, I found some weddings, they hire some legends, Somali legends who are now Canadian, um, that they even pay for the ticket, for the hotel, and for the fee to have him sing at their wedding. Artists often perform at weddings. And then there are shows, but they're not at music venues. It's sort of like a promoter will rent out a hotel and there'll be a big Somali community event featuring a singer in those hotels. Alana Horton is the director of marketing and communications at the Cedar Cultural Center, a nonprofit music venue that sits just off the intersection of Cedar and Riverside Avenues and has become a hub for both local and international music. Since 2014, the Cedar has put on Minimo, a residency program for Somali artists. So Minimo is the Somali word for unity. And it's also the name of the program that the Cedar has been doing since 2014. The Cedar has always done what we might call world music. We have a mission to promote intercultural appreciation and understanding through global music and dance. But until like... 2012, the Cedar had never actually been presenting or having Somali artists on our stage, despite having this mission and being part of a community that was so, it was a Somali community, and yet we weren't having those artists on our stage. Minimo as a program has a couple aims, and one of those is to bring some of these international Somali superstars to the Cedar, and then also use that as a way to kind of build bridges between the Cedar and our neighborhood between different generations of Somalis in the diaspora, also between sort of maybe a white Minnesotan community and the Somali community, and using music as, as that bridge to kind of create unity, which is what the program's named for. Since 2014, we have now presented 10 artists, which is huge. We haven't just presented artists. It's not just like the artist flies in and does a show. One of the main things that's a part of Minimo is doing residencies, which is where the artist kind of comes in and is part of the community and is going to classrooms in particular. Um, 
I would be remiss if I didn't say Minimo was started as a program of the Cedar and Augsburg University. And then since 2016, it hasn't just been residencies in Minneapolis. We've also been bringing those artists to outstate Minnesota, so to St. Cloud and Mankato. In St. Cloud, uh, when we started, those finale performances were maybe drawing 100 people. Um, the last finale concert we did with our Monta in St. Cloud actually sold out. Live Somali music does have an audience in Minnesota. The Cedar can be configured as a seated venue with a capacity of 450 people, or standing room only, which allows 625. And we are so happy to have the collaboration and be part of it, uh, Cedar Cultural Center, because that's where we bring in our music back. And bringing our music back means we are establishing the roots for Somali-American kids their roots that a lot of people don't know because they, a lot of young people, which is uh, the majority of our community, don't know much about Somalia or Somali culture. They don't know much about their music. So to have a venue like that, it really uh, gives them that, oh, your past is not only civil war or extremism and destruction, but your past was good for 5,000 years and you had a music as old as you. As beautiful as it is to see people piling into the cedar to celebrate live music, not every artist's journey to Minnesota has been easy. Armanta shares his story after the break. So far, we've heard from West Bank community members Abdi Razak Bihi and Alana Horton. Now we'll hear from a musician who has made the journey to Cedar Riverside. Uh, my name is uh, Armanta. I'm a Somali musician uh, from the UK, and um, I am currently the artist in residence of the Cedar Cultural Center. We've just released a children album, and so I was the artist in residence from 2018 to 2019. It was very, very challenging times. Armanta is one of the most recent Mid-Nemo participants, but he was actually supposed to have come to Minnesota a lot earlier. I was supposed to be here sometime back in October 2017 because of the visa issues. I think it took about six months. I was the only one who was singled out. Uh, my band members are not all Somali. I'm the only Somali in my band members, the ones that came here anyway with me. We have different backgrounds, but we all have like European citizens. We all like citizenships. So and we all kind of like, you know, uh, we have, have like a French guitarist, have like a, a Italian bass player, have like, you know, South African slash English keyboardist, and I also have like an Indian slash Scottish uh, drummer. So we all went to the embassy. The process was all done from here. Everything was approved. But then when we left the interview, they sent an email and they tell me that, they need to do more background check on me. So they approved it after three months. But it was too late by that time to do the program. Now, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I don't have any skeletons in my closet. I don't have any hidden issues or anything like that. So, so why me as a Somali have to be treated like that? We have never successfully brought an artist a Somali artist from the continent of Africa. All of the artists that we have applied for visas for 
have been artists who are already residing in and have citizenship in England or Canada. And even so, legislation like the Muslim ban has created an atmosphere where a visa is delayed due to additional administrative processing. That's what happened when we tried to bring Armanta in, in 2017. Even before the Trump administration took office, Somali musicians could be hard to book. But over the last few years, things have grown far harder for Somali artists who want to play in the States. So my name is Kara Lynham. I'm an immigration attorney based here in St. Paul, and I do all family-based immigration, humanitarian immigration. Kara also hosts a great podcast called Immigration Nation. While researching this episode of The Current Rewind, we found it nearly impossible to understand Executive Order 13769, often referred to as the travel ban. So we decided to ask an expert. I call it the Muslim ban because I think then-candidate Trump said a lot of things that would make a lot of people believe it was focused on Muslims, although he did add um, North Korea and Venezuela to the, the third iteration of the ban. So the ban started somewhat famously when you saw um, in January 2017, the week after he was inaugurated, he signed it's just a straight ban. Then it's a couple months later, it must have been in March 2017, Trump signed a second version of the ban because there were so many problems with the first one and it got knocked down in court right away. It was still horrible and still wasn't legal. So by September 2017, then they did a third ban. That's the one that survives today. The current countries are Somalia, Syria, Libya, Iran, Yemen, Chad, Venezuela, and North Korea. It's, it's not all immigrants from all of those countries. It's certain categories from some of the countries and all people from some of the countries. So for countries like Somalia, it's all both non-immigrant and immigrant visas. And in June 2018, the Supreme Court said, no, it's constitutional. They gave us just enough reason to think this is not based solely on religion. Therefore, it survives. So to this day, now in 2019, we still have this ban in place. So in practice, what this does is it separates families. They're stuck overseas or they're waiting a very long time to reunite with their family. Or for students or people who want to visit, it creates this really lengthy application process. And now we know from the little amount, the small amount of information we have about the waivers of the ban, you're very unlikely to ever get a visa to come to the United States. You probably want to start thinking about, is there another country where I can visit or go to school? Uh, we know that for Somali nationals, up until uh, for the fiscal year 2018, only 195 applicants of thousands were granted a waiver. So of all banned countries, this is everyone that was banned. As of May 31st, 2018, out of over 33,000 applications, only 768 their waivers had been, quote unquote, cleared, meaning the waivers had been approved. We don't know if that means that many visas were actually issued. Because of his British passport, Armanta finally made it to Minnesota. In the summer of 2018, he worked on his children's album with local Somali students. He has returned twice, most recently this March, when he sat down with our producer, Cecilia Johnson, and talked about the deeper roots of Somali music history. Somalis were known uh, to be the nation of poets mm. before colonization, so uh, before the 1800s and so on. This was historically documented even by a, a, a British explorer. I think his name was Richard Burton or something. He went, I think he went the 18, in the early 1800s and uh, he found that every three people he met, almost one was always a poet. 
with Somali songs, the message is the most important thing. So that particular socialist government which existed in um, the late 1960s to the early 1990s, that government used to use music to um, to convey their messages. Uh, sometimes, you know, like obviously some propaganda songs. When you write Somali songs, there are strict rules that have existed for a very long time. And people who are into poetry would know something called alliteration and also allegory. So basically, my grandma uh, was was a poet, and like in my, in my in just in my household and stuff, like my mom would always have like Somali poetry. Haroon is a 19-year-old musician, poet, and model from Minneapolis, and he's now based in New York City. Also, like back then, they didn't read or write, so it was all like all these messages and stories and traditions were only being carried on through like oral history. Many Somalis who've set down roots in Minnesota tell similar tales. One of them is Twin Cities teacher and activist Zainab Ahmed Omar, who emigrated from Mogadishu to Canada. In 2008, she moved to the U.S. Before um, the Civil War, Somali music were very... um, It was part of my life, especially uh, my mother was actually a singer-songwriter. She was a singer as well as a songwriter. She was very, very much embedded into like the music and I remember as a young child memorizing her lyrics and you know singing it with her so it was part of my life you know we grew up in a single parent household so my mom was always the breadwinner in our family even back home because my father was out of the country most of the times you know he used to she was a student so my mom had to make it you know somehow so she started catering business and so in the afternoon you know she would finish all catering everything would be finished either they would come pick it up or she'll drop it off and then she would have neighbors you know they would come over over a tea and there was this guy he would come and she would you know he would sing and he had a guitar and he would record her and that's how she started singing before she used to write but that's how and then one time he said try it I want to hear your voice she did it and he was like impressed and then ever since he started recording her and I think my mom that's how she was able to give birth to seven children without losing her mind because as we all know how crazy can get that (laughs) so I remember being around that and when the civil war broke down the music sort of kind of stopped for a bit and now it's returning it but it was a period where it sort of stopped because the country was in turmoil and and there was not a lot of happiness that was going on. We were going through poverty, people were dying. So now that the country has cooled down and now that we have a government at home, it feels like it's returning it, that music back. For many people who fled the Civil War, the path to a better life can be dangerous, which some of Armanta's music reflects. There are two songs that I'm really, really proud of. Both songs come from like real life stories. And the one particular song is called Deqa. Deqa in English means suffice. It's also one of the most popular female Somali names. And uh, it was also the nickname of Somali Airlines. That song was in response to the struggles of Somali people when they can't fly and they're always like under suspicious just because they happen to be American citizens or or European citizens. And then uh, I did the video for that particular song 
in response to European immigrations. They used to interrogate me and so on. I used to take notes of what they asked me, and then we ended up reenacting. When I did that video, I think it was nearly about nine years ago. To this day, I get people emailing me and telling me the significance of that song and how a member of their family was able to relate to that song and this is the kind of stuff, this is how they treat it and so on. The other song is called Tahrib and uh, it's been translated to Dangerous Crossings. <laughs> I sang this song in response to a family member of mine ending up in a detention centre in Libya. He was a victim of human trafficking. A boat sank off the coast of Libya in the Mediterranean Sea. I think quite a lot of uh, Africans died in that boat. That time was about nearly 500. So I released that song in a cappella version and it just talks about the, the specific struggles of these people. We did a video and it had a very impact, like thousands of shares within a day. Eventually, the United Nations reached that to me and they've asked me if I wanted to become um, a high-profile supporter or a goodwill ambassador. Uh, they invited me to go to Egypt where I met victims and survivors of uh, of human trafficking and also dangerous crossings. The UN decided to use my song as their theme campaign for anti-human trafficking and also uh, to warn the youth and also anyone who was, who was going to do secondary migration, uh, just to warn them about the dangers and, and so on. Uh, so we, we recorded my song. That was in 2016, December 2016. And when we re-recorded my song, we re-recorded it in... Uh, five different languages, so we did it in Arabic, Oromo, Amharic, Tigrinya, and we also did it in Somali, which was the original song, the language the song was on. As you might be able to guess from Tarib's spread across the world, YouTube is a huge distribution platform for Somali music. And one thing I've been really inspired by in terms of the community is it is really a flourishing musical ecosystem that exists outside of the idea of labels and the ways that music is dispersed and the ways that artists are cared for by the community, it's totally a different model from what I've seen from my vantage point. The main place where people are finding and consuming it, much like I would say Western music industry, is still YouTube. Social media, especially, you know, like YouTube has its negatives, but it also has a lot of its positives as well. Sharing your videos, not necessarily even music videos, sometimes even my visits. I used to put them on my on my YouTube channels when I went to the refugee camps and so on. So then people can see, regardless of where you are, you could see what you've been up to and so on. It's very important. And one of the cool things is that we had a lot of Somali media at that show. So BBC Somalia and Voice of America Somali were both there and they've put out videos. So the reach on those videos has already been viewed like 100,000 times. It's reaching farther than just the people that were in the room, and I think that's an important thing to remember, too, of like what we do here in Minnesota actually does have these ripple effects much farther than this state or this country. It really does touch on a community that is global and connected through the Internet and through YouTube and through 
videos and devices, that mm. it is a very close connection. Using the internet to connect Somalis around the world, Armanda's generation has become a bridge between the poets of old and the young artists growing up in the diaspora. Sisters Siham and Aman Hashi, who perform as pop R&B duo Faro, fled to Toronto with their family at ages four and five. In 2019, they performed at the Cedar and toured Minnesota via Mid-Nimmo. While visiting, Faro were backed by Minnesota funk and Afrofuturist band Astral Black, as they told The Current's Marla Khan Schwartz. Love working with them. Yeah, it's only it's only been a few days and it's just already like coming together so amazing. And I just we love like our energies. I think it was so great that Cedar and Midnimo brought us together because our energies are like very in sync. Yeah. <laughs> Watching my reflection through your eyes. See my love and giving you the credit for the last. Funny how you think you changed my life. Faro are part of a second generation of Somali artists in North America who are embracing Western pop as a birthright alongside traditional Somali music. In fact, they were the first Somali women to sign with a major U.S. label, Warner Brothers Records. How did you guys feel about that, about being the first Somali women signed to a U.S. Um, label? We felt amazing. And I remember we were allowed to go to Atlanta because that was the only place we had family. Um, and things just happened very quickly. It was almost like the universe was just like carrying us there and we were able to secure a record deal very quickly. And really the record label was just like, okay, like you guys are Somali refugees. You guys talk about it, but then your music's pop. Like we don't get it. This trip, I feel like we really got to just really be in the Somali community and just see how tight knit everybody is. You know, we're from Toronto and there's also a lot of Somali people there, but it's different. Yeah. Just all like the amazing businesses that are started here in, in Minnesota and all the programs and the initiatives. It's just. Yeah, it was so fun. We went yeah. to a, uh, we went to a Borambara class and Borambara is basically our, like a traditional ceremonial, like cultural drumming and chanting, singing. It was so fun. And I was just like, wow, we're from Toronto and there's a, such a huge Somali community and we're like. I've never been to a Bromber class or other than just going to a wedding or like a Somali party. We went to the Sisterhood oh. uh, Boutique, which was really cool. It's, uh, it's like a thrift store, but it's also like a youth program and like all women were working in there. So it's like a women run initiative. We just love thrifting anyway. Yeah. So we've never like walked into a thrift store and it was like Somali girls were working there and it was like run by the Somali girl. Making music wasn't necessarily something the Hashis expected to be doing growing up. Some Muslims consider music to be haram, forbidden by Islamic law. In high school, I was still in the mode of, uh, oh my gosh, I cannot pursue music. Number one, I'm going to hell. Yeah. Uh, and number two, like, I would be shunned from, like, my family and my entire community. Uh, there's some people... I know and stuff who like just won't even like listen to music at all. Like they just won't, won't even do it because they're just like, you know, it's haram. Like you shouldn't be listening to it. Nineteen-year-old Haroon struggles with the idea that music is sinful. I don't know. I, I feel like people commit sins that like are so wrong or like vile. Like music, I feel like it's not that deep, bro. Like it's literally just like I'm saying. This whole different big issues going on in this world, and people are like tripping about music. It's like a clash kind of between, like, the younger and the older generation. But, you know, it's crazy, like, in the older generation, they made music. Like, in the 70s, Somalia had a huge, like, disco and, like, 
funk scene. They had something going on, like people had their afros picked out, where they're like ankle, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't mimicking like what was going on in America. It was just heavily inspired by it. But like what the actual sounds were were so different. I didn't understand why like the older generation would hate. Well, like even in their time, it happened. Because I also was raised in like a very religious household. Like I went to message four days a week, super into Tafid, which is like where they have you like learn the Quran like really fast. Not necessarily like every older Somali like parent or like an adult, but like a lot of them kind of see us making music and stuff like that as us being rebellious and like following a different path and the way the only one that we should be following. And like I don't get that. I feel like I'm having fun. I'm not being disrespectful to women. I'm not like you know I'm like spreading a message that's like a bad one at the end of the day i'm an artist like i'm just making my art the way that i I want to haroon started performing in the slam poetry scene he's competed twice at brave new voices a slam festival for young writers there's like this open mic that happens at the u of m that like the ssa throws which is like the smile student association i always just remember going to like the msa shows all these like high schools would just throw on shows like all their smiley artists would just like do their thing or not just my artists but they would also have like a fashion show culture fest things like that so i would like take part in events like that and like go to those yeah it's, it's just like it's like really cool in 2018 haroon released happy birthday haroon a short song with a chill beat by producers quay and ben farmer he raps about growing up listening to lil wayne and kanye west on other songs he sings through autotune over crisp digital beats a lot of his music is avant-garde and his peers are underground musicians with strong followings on soundcloud yeah, and i grew up bumping wheezy bumping easy watching michael watching my buddy was my idol was my hope was so insightful so my why i got locked in my boombox already really city about two pop there's like a a budding hip-hop and there's people who are just like pushing it forward and I'm just like for real so proud to be from Minneapolis like I'm out here really, like all the time just like talking to people about like what's going on they look at Minnesota kind of like a I don't know like one of those states that isn't a big state <laughs> that doesn't deserve the attention but I think that there's something home there's like something happening Last November, Haroon performed his music at a showcase sponsored by Red Bull Music Presents in the Dinkytown neighborhood of Minneapolis. He was part of a bill of up-and-coming creatives in a number of fields, all of them Somali. The young Minneapolis DJ Yasmina helped organize the event. Um, it was uh, me and Jake Hines Society, Jake from Green Room. It's funny, like I had ran into him in Oakland in August, and we were talking about putting together something for Somali artists in the Twin Cities to just honor them. And so we did that, and that show was really great. We had a whole bunch of Somali acts in the Twin Cities, but then we were also able to get some from out of town. We had haunted bands. We had DECA DJing. Um, I was DJing. We had photography work by Fatuma. Fatuma Eyes, she's really dope. Um, 1991 Zine was there. We asked Yasmina what percentage of the music she plays as a DJ is Somali music. Honestly, I would say like 10%. There's been a lot of times where I've played and I've DJed in crowds where I'm the only Somali and I'll like throw a Somali track in there and everyone's like, oh, okay. And they're like grooving to it. But there's just so much other music to play. Like I love Somali music and it's just as great. But it's like my experience being as a DJ too is like I don't want to get stuck in just one sound. I want to just allow myself to gravitate towards other things. 
but like I honor my Somali roots and that's why it was so important for me to create a show like this because it was like I want to do something for the community where you know we're honoring talent and it's not necessarily focused on this story of like oh Somali refugees and you know escaping war like I kind of wanted to just like leave all that and just it be about these you know Somali American folks just making music and being passionate about creativity and art but I will say though it is important for me to show other Somali girls that it is okay to pursue any role that it is that they want to do you know because DJing is cool I want there to be more room for individuality I don't want us Somali girls to be placed in a box. I want us to be everywhere because we just can be. As another generation of musicians grows up, Armanda says he's rooting for the new kids. Being misunderstood and I think the media, especially the mass media, the fact that Somalis tend to be black and they tend to be Muslim, it's just like two factors that, that are under a lot of pressure from the media. I think... As Somalis, we have we have also responsibility to to counter that. I'm encouraged because a lot of young Somalis are actually doing that. Even the Somali community, the London Londoners, I think, is a lot more Somalis, and but it's a lot bigger, like tens of millions. In Minnesota, I think they seem more active. They're politically more active now. They're socially more active now. I'm also like hopeful for the for the younger generation. In recent years, there's been a few attempts to connect the predominantly white indie rock community with these rising Somali stars. In December of 2016, rock trio Low invited a supergroup called Ambassadors of Culture to perform at their annual Christmas show at First Avenue. The reggae funk band was led by Holly Munoz of the Aviettes and Somali singer Dalmar Yari and paired white musicians like Martin Dosh, Don House, and Al Church with a troupe of Somali dancers. Even so, these moments of cultural connection have been few and far between. There's still a lot of work to be done to desegregate our communities. Even that moment of, like, just getting a little outside of the community, too, and having people see just, like, a glimpse of what Somali music can be like and what it is, is so important also and powerful. I hope that in the future that exchange and growth continues to happen. I want people to be coming to things like Somali Independence Day, which happens on Lake Street. I want people to check out the Somali Museum in Minnesota or like the exhibition at the Minnesota Historical Society. I think it's our obligation as white Minnesotans to try to better understand our fellow citizens. Rewind is produced by Cecilia Johnson. Michelangelo Matos is our writer. Marisa Gonzalez-Morseth is our research assistant. And Brett Baldwin is our managing producer. Our theme music is Winging It by Laserbeak from the album Luther. Michael DeMarc mastered this episode. Thanks to our guests Abdi Razak Bihi from KFAI, Alana Horton from the Cedar Cultural Center, Armanta, Kara Linum, Zainab Ahmed Omar, Yasmina, and Harun. Thank you to The Current's Marla Khan Schwartz for lending us her interview with Faro, and thank you to Dekka, a Somali-American artist who offered us this gorgeous song, Fond Memory, to use in the podcast. 
So this is the end of Side A of The Current Rewind. We're going to take a short break for research and interviews and be back with more unsung music stories in just a few weeks. In the meantime, if you're enjoying The Current Rewind, please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to anyone you know who you think might enjoy it. We know there are a lot of media options out there, so as a new podcast, we appreciate all the help we can get. And go to thecurrent.org slash rewind to find transcripts, past episodes, and bonus materials, including a photo gallery of the West Bank and a YouTube playlist of Armanta Jams. The Current Rewind is made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. It is a production of Minnesota Public Radio's The Current. <laughs>